name. I want to begin uh, my uh, message this morning with the, the statement. So would you, would you put up my first statement? There is a faith that defies understanding and a hope that is unsinkable. There is a faith that defies understanding and a hope that is unsinkable. Faith and hope uh, are uh, inseparable. They're always linked together. Uh, the Bible definition of what both faith and hope are can be found in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It, says, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things unseen. When faith is motivated, when faith moves by love, when faith is inspired by love, faith, hope, and love. Remember Paul said there are three that are remaining, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. When, when we are operating in all three, faith, hope, and love, there is a threefold cord that is not broken, that will not be broken. I want to talk to you this morning about about this, this concept, this premise that there is a faith that defies understanding, explanation. There is a hope that is undefeatable and unsinkable. I believe in Romans, the eighth chapter, the apostle Paul was talking about this and summing up this one, maybe one of the greatest chapters in the Bible Paul says, I'm absolutely persuaded, I'm absolutely convinced that no amount of distress, no amount of persecution, no amount of tribulation, nothing in all of life or death can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In fact, Paul says, and it gives us a list of really difficult things and says, but even in all these things, we are more than conquerors through the one who loved us. So, so I want you to know that there is a faith that defies explanation or understanding. And there is a hope. There is a hope that is unsinkable. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning as we continue in our series on the titles and names of Jesus. There are some people who become examples of extraordinary faith, not not, or I should say unwittingly or, or unintentionally, but because of the circumstances that take place in their life, they, they become examples of extraordinary, the kind of faith that I'm, I'm talking about this morning. They become examples of a faith that is beyond explanation and a hope that is unsinkable. There's a, a statement that... Uh, people have quoted, but it's not in the Bible. And I want you to know that this is, this is not a scripture, but this is a, a, a basic, you know, phrase that's, that goes around quite often. And it goes like this, God won't give you more than you can handle. Ever hear someone say that? God won't give you more than you can handle. Now, now that is maybe a misunderstanding of another verse of scripture, which talks about temptation, which which says that when you are tempted, God will provide a means of escape. He will provide you with grace so that you can bear up underneath it. So that's a different idea altogether. So the idea that God won't give you more than you can handle is not, is not accurate. What is better to say is this, that God won't give you more than he 
can handle. God won't give you more than he can handle. And there are examples both in scripture and in life of people who find themselves in unbearable and situations that are beyond their ability to handle in which they turn to God for strength and for grace to help them. And what happens is they rise in their faith level. They rise in their ability to fulfill that first definition of what I said earlier, that they have a faith that, that becomes, becomes defiant in the face of understanding and a hope that is unsinkable. On the morning of January 20th, and that, that's just a little bit more than two weeks ago, something, something horrific happened to the Watson family. A fire started in the baseboard heater and spread throughout the Watson home. I don't know, maybe some of you have heard about this. But eight out of the nine children in the family, eight out of nine children in the family, including their mother, Nikki, all perished in that fire. The only survivors were their father, whose name was Chad, and their 11-year-old, his 11-year-old daughter, Kylie. A family friend who was on the scene said that there were three unsuccessful attempts for, for Chad to save his family. Three unsuccessful attempts for Chad to save his family. And, and so I, I have to ask the question. Chad and Kylie were taken to the hospital with severe burns and in critical condition. And this is, this is just a couple of weeks ago. And they've got, they've got a uh, long road ahead of them uh, for various treatments for their burns. Uh, but here, here's the question. How can anyone, how can anyone bear something of such a horrendous tragedy? This man, Chad, buried his wife and, and eight of his nine children. It's, it's hard for us to imagine to wrap our minds around that. But there is a faith that is defiant of explanation and a hope that is unsinkable. I want to talk to you this morning about the God of hope. One of the titles of Jesus is called the hope of glory. And he becomes our hope. He becomes the anchor upon which we are not destroyed, even though we may have to go through some really horrific and incredible things. What I'm thinking of this morning, what comes to mind when I heard the story was the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, second letter to the Corinthians in chapter one, Paul tells them about an experience that he had. Now, now I, I got to admire Paul. First of all, if you know the relationship that Paul had with the Corinthian church, even though he was the founding pastor of the church, he fell out of favor with the Corinthians because of false apostles and prophets who came among them and, and really deceived them. They, 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 they kind of thought about Paul in a disparaging way, in a, in a way in which they kind of felt that, that Paul's frequent imprisonments and Paul's, the persecution that, that Paul was, was suffering and, and all of the hardships that Paul was enduring, somehow, some way, he was responsible for those very things that were taking place in his life. And so as a result of that, 
the church was very critical of Paul and the church was very harsh with Paul. In, in, in light of that fact, Paul makes himself vulnerable because what Paul is going to do in this first chapter is the verses that we're going to look at is, is Paul, Paul in absolute candidness and honesty just unveils a, a, a moment, more than a moment, an experience of, of utter weakness and helplessness on Paul's part. Something that leaders, listen, they, they don't like sometimes to get that honest with people as to show their vulnerability. But I, I just love the fact that Paul is so real and so honest that he's going to open himself up to even more criticism, but he's going to benefit us by telling us the truth of his experience. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. We'll start. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the providence of Asia. We don't want you to be uninformed about the hardships we suffered in the providence of Asia. Again, some, some leaders would, would shy away from telling the extent to which Paul had suffered in this experience. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. It's hard for us to even imagine Paul dealing with something that was beyond his ability to endure. He, he's such a super, you know, apostle in, in our view. He says, but we despaired even of life. To think of Paul in desperation, to think of Paul so, so disquieted, so disturbed that he would despair even of life. He says, indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely or trust on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead, who has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. There's the anticipation, an expectation. There is a hope that Paul expresses there in that sentence, but I want you to see what his hope is. He says, on him, Jesus, my parentheses, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. It was the means by which we can have a faith that defies explanation, that we can have a hope that is unsinkable because Christ himself is our hope. The only certainty that we have in this life, the only certainty that we have are the promises that come to us from God. And Christ in particular is said to be Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul said we were under extreme pressure to the point where we couldn't handle it. But, but I want you to know this, it wasn't more for the Lord to handle. And the Lord has the ability to sustain us and to give us grace in every single moment by moment, no matter what it is that we're going through. There's a verse of scripture. I, I know that Paul would have been familiar with this. It says in Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares upon the Lord for he will sustain you. And that is what Paul is saying here. That in this horrific experience that we were undergoing, being pressed beyond measure, beyond our ability to bear, the Lord was able to sustain us because on him we have set our hope. You see, to Paul Hope was more than a spiritual force. It was, it was more than a biblical principle. Hope was a person. And in the person of Jesus, I believe that hope is personified. 
This is what Paul meant when he wrote to Timothy when he said this. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, our hope. All of our hope is to be fixed in him. All of our hope is to be found in him. All of the promises of God are in him, yes. And we say, so be it to those promises. Paul wrote about the God of hope in in Romans, the 15th chapter, and he speaks about several times, may the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy in believing, but there's no difference in Paul's mind to the God of hope and the one that we know as Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. There was a quote from a family friend concerning the Watson family. After attempting three times unsuccessfully to save his family, they they were found gathered together in the master bedroom in an attempt to try to escape through a window and they were overcome with smoke. He says, I've done everything I can to try to save them. And then he said this, I know now that they are safe in the arms of a gracious savior. That statement is a statement that testifies to having in the midst of your wife and eight of your nine children perishing in a fire. That statement to me is a description of what faith that defies explanation or understanding and a hope and a hope that is unsinkable. I would like to ask you to please remember. In fact, I'd like to pray right now for Chad and for Kylie. Uh, I think they're still in the hospital. Uh, Also want to pray for a three-year-old. I heard uh, yesterday was injured in a sled accident. Uh, This three-year-old child was with his parents and and they were sledding down a hill and a teenager accidentally came down and knocked the child, knocked into the child and the child is has been put into a, uh, a forced coma because of bleeding on the brain and just in critical condition. So we could remember Parker, uh, Chad, and, and uh, Kylie in prayer now. So let's just, let's just pray for them. Father, we, we want to just lift up these two different families, oh God, that are dealing with incredible things. And, and, and we pray for your incredible mercy and your incredible healing and, and, and comfort. Let we know that the God of all comfort is able to comfort us in all that we go through and all that we experience. And so we pray that you would strengthen Chad and Kylie and Parker and their extended families and just be with them in such a way that they tangibly can experience the power of God in their life. I think, of, I think of what Jesus said in, in John 16, 33. He said, in this life, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But, he said this, but, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. There is an overcoming faith in the face of the most horrendous circumstances. There is an overcoming faith that we can have and a grace that God can give to those who turned to him in a moment of need. 
Here's another statement that I'd like you to consider. No follower of Christ is promised an easy life. No follower of Christ is promised an easy life, but we are promised a perfect eternity. And the hope that is set before us is that there is a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness that we can look forward to where there is no more pain and no more sorrow and no more death and the former things are passed away. And the one who said from the cross, it is finished, said, behold, I make all things new. There will be an end to all the suffering and to all the pain and all the, all the things that, that are so much a part of this broken world. Here's a, here, here's a quote that I wanted to share with you. I'm not going to tell you who said this until, until maybe a couple of minutes into this thought, but I want you to look at the, this statement. Bones heal, pain is temporary, and glory is forever. Anybody know who said that? That's yeah, pretty, pretty hard to figure out. Uh, that You could tell everybody this afternoon... Oh, your pastor quoted from Evil Knievel. <laughs> I, I, I was watching P-A-W-N, Stars. Me and Doug, we love that show. P-A-W-N, Pawn, Stars. And uh, somebody came in with, with uh, uh, memorabilia from uh, Evil Knievel and was trying to sell it. And the guy, Rick, uh, who is one of the owners of the, the shop, said, oh yeah, evil Knievel. He, he broke just about every bone in his body. And it's true. He, he broke just about every bone in his body. He, he, if you don't know him, he, he was a daredevil back in the 60s and 70s, I guess. He, he even tried, tried riding a supercharged motorcycle across Snake River, across the uh, Grand Canyon. Uh, he, he did some in, incredible things and had in, incredible accidents as well, broke, broke many of his bones. And, and so he says, he says, bones heal, pain is temporary, but glory is forever. Now I want you to imagine if a, if a stuntman, if a, an entertainer, a daredevil can make a conclusion that, that, that pain is temporary, that, that yeah, you can heal, but, but that glory is forever. Now imagine, imagine with me, if you will, the the glory that is forever for the child of God who goes through pain and suffering and endures it to the very end and remains faithful. And when this challenge doesn't, doesn't turn against God but, but turns to God in humility and in weakness and says, God, I need, I need you, I need your grace. I think this is what Paul was talking about in his letter again, the same letter of Paul to the Corinthians, this time in chapter four. Paul is talking about present troubles and difficulties and problems. And basically what Paul is saying is that not in spite of them, but through them, something takes place. And and this is what he says, for our light and momentary troubles, pain is temporary. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's so important for us to remember that even now, present pain is only temporary. You know, one of the phrases in in Scripture that, 
that, that, that we could just so easily apply to so many of the circumstances in our life is that it came to pass. It came to pass. It didn't come to stay. It, many of the times those things that are in our life, they come, there is an end in store and they come to pass. And so Paul says in verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I, I don't know if, if Evil Knievel ever read those verses. But you know what? It's a paraphrase almost for what Paul is saying. That pain is temporary, but glory, glory is forever. It's eternal. A few weeks ago, I was sharing on the message of Christ as the bridegroom. And at the end of the message, I shared a poignant story about Joni, I'm sorry, Johnny Tahada uh, Erickson. And this 17-year-old girl at the time, 1967, she was 17 years old, which makes her about, I guess, about 63, 64 today, somewhere in that area. But but when she was 17 years old, because of a diving accident, she broke her neck and, and she, she became paralyzed. And, and we were relating, j- just to remind you of that story, that sh- she was talking about her wedding day and how awkward she felt in her ill-fitting wedding gown and in a wheelchair. She didn't feel like the picture-perfect bride in a magazine, you know, meeting her bridegroom. But all of that, all of her unworthiness vanished when she... When she spotted, when she saw her bridegroom's face. And we related the fact that that's what's going to happen with all of our unworthiness and all of our feelings of, of, of not being ill-suited for someone as lovely as Jesus. All, it's all going to fade away. When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But I came across something that, that, that Johnny wrote about toward the beginning of her journey that I wanted to share with you this morning. She says, I was angry that my life had been reduced to the basics of eating, breathing, and sleeping day in and day out. But what I discovered was that the rest of the human race was in the same boat. Their lives revolved around the same meaningless cycle, except with them it wasn't as obvious Non-essential things distracted them from the fact that they were caught on the same treadmill. Their jobs, school, families, recreation occupied them enough so that they never consciously recognized that their lives were the same as mine, eating, breathing, and sleeping. And what Johnny came to discover through, through this experience was the purpose and the meaning for her life. At this particular point, She's writing, and it was eight years into that accident. So she's now 25 years of age. And she was getting ready to take the stage of a Youth for Christ rally in which there were about 2,000 teenagers, the vast majority of, of, of whom have no understanding of what the meaning of life is. And she says this, she says, when I heard the voice of the youth for Christ's director introduced me suddenly. The purpose of my being here was brought sharply into focus. In the next 30 minutes, I would speak to 2,000 kids, telling them how God transformed an immature, 
headstrong teenager into a self-reliant young woman who is learning how to rejoice in suffering. I will have a unique opportunity, she writes. What I will share with them will determine, may determine where some of them will spend eternity. I will be pleased if even only one is drawn to Christ. If only one person would make their commitment to Christ, then this wheelchair would have been worth it all. And then she writes this, without Christ, we are all spiritual quadriplegics, living robotic lives, meaningless existences. With him, she says, even our wheelchairs become a pathway to meaning and purpose. Now, once again, what God does is that he can take even these horrific things and he can, he can use them to display this kind of faith that, is, that defies explanation, this kind of hope that is unsinkable. Johnny, again, is, is in the news. I don't know if some of you have heard what has happened in her life recently, but she recorded a song for a movie called Alone Yet Not Alone that actually received an Academy Award nomination for Best Song. Anybody, anybody here that can just see here? A few of you. However, the nomination was rescinded or, or taken back probably because of political correct reasons, probably because the, 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 the nominating board found out she was a Christian and, and she's quadriplegic. And, and, and maybe there's some of that uh, prejudice that entered into their withdrawing their nomination. Just this last week, she was being interviewed by Megyn Kelly on Fox News. And here's, here's a little bit of that conversation. Megyn uh, Kelly asked her, how did the recording come about? And, and she said this, I was speaking at a conference last year, weaving songs and hymns in and out of my message. Little did I realize that in the audience were friends of those that were connected with the production of this film. And when they heard me, sing, especially as a quadriplegic sitting in a wheelchair. They asked if I would be willing to record the movie theme. I think they thought that the hardship that I've experienced over the last 47 years would bring something unique to the song. So she says, so I, I recorded the song in a little studio in Santa Monica a few months ago, and the next thing I know is there was an Oscar nomination. Megan Kelly said this. She said, that's unbelievable. She says, I know. And I, and I mean, you're not even a professional singer. Your husband actually helped you to sing the song by pressing on your diaphragm, I understand. And Johnny responded by saying, yeah, I only have about 50% lung capacity. And so my sweet husband, he had to kind of press in on my tummy to help me reach the high notes. I, I, I want to share with you the making of that song, and then I'll come back and make some closing remarks before we close. So would you uh, play that at this time? Make sure the volume is up and nice. We are the ones who run to you when we are weak, and uh, you know this body. You form this body. This is a quadriplegic body that is broken. My lungs are limited, 
but there's this fine balance between presenting to you all of my weakness and thinking that it can't be done. I don't want to think that it can't be done. And so, Father, I pray that you will uh, mitigate any crackiness in my voice, um, any age in my voice, any tiredness in my voice, and please give me your strength. Uh, These words talk about, in your strength, I find my own. And so uh, make that my prayer. I make that my prayer, Lord God. I'm alone, yet not alone. God's the light that will guide me home. With his love and tenderness, leading through.
It's beautiful. I tell you what, God has a way of redeeming even the tragedies and displaying a faith that defies understanding. Now, I want to see that film. It's a, it's a, a, a low-budget film, probably hasn't been seen in many uh, audiences, but I tell you what, I think that what, that what the Academy did to rescind the, the nomination is only going to work to further the advance of that film, and maybe many more people will hear that beautiful song and come to, come to hear the, the thought that we may be alone, we may be facing situations like Jesus, abandoned by his friends, betrayed by a friend, denied by the members of his own family, He was tried in an unfair court. No justice was served in the execution of Jesus. But, but look at what happened. God took the cross and the suffering of the cross and the pain of the cross so that in turn we might be saved. It's amazing. But God can do the incredible there was an NBC uh, primetime or Dateline program on TV not too long ago, and, and they were uh, following the lives of nine men and women who were uh, on a waiting list to receive a heart transplant. And basically what they said in this program was that about 50% of those that are on the waiting list for a heart transplant never live long enough to receive one. So they followed the story of this, these eight or nine individuals who were fortunate enough to receive a heart transplant. But they got the phone call that a heart would match, and that, they would, that they would receive a heart. And the strange thing was that there was this mixture of joy also with the realization that somebody had to die in order for them to live. Somebody had to die in order for you and I to live. And it couldn't just be anybody. It had to be somebody unique. It had to be somebody perfect. It had to be God himself who would come being joined to our humanity to redeem those that were under the law. And what God has accomplished in the person of his son is to model for us a faith that defies explanation, a hope that is absolutely unsinkable. And Jesus Christ is that. I spoke a lot about Johnny this morning, but, but really it's, it's the God that Johnny serves that I want you to see this morning, and I want to point to him. But but I read this about her, that she was at a conference and the final speaker of the day in the final message, in, in the final moments of his message, asked everyone in attendance if, if they would do this, if they would all kneel down and pray. And Johnny was the only one who couldn't comply with that 
instruction. And she began to cry. And she cried, she said, Lord, I I so want to be able to to kneel before you and just worship you. And and this is is what, what came out of her. She says, Lord Jesus, I can't wait for the day when I will rise up on resurrected legs. The first thing I will do is to drop on my grateful, glorified knees and worship you. On display for us to see in the examples I've given you this morning is a faith that defies understanding and a hope that is unsinkable because of Christ. You see, Jesus is not just with you. Jesus is not above you. Jesus is not below you. Jesus is not next to you. Christ is in you. Believer, the hope of glory. Abiding resident on the inside of your spirit and heart is hope personified. So that no matter what you ever have to face in your life, like the song sang, you're not alone. He said, I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. I mean, I am persuaded, Paul says, I am confident that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing the glory that awaits us. For when Christ appears, I shall appear with him in glory. Remember, glory is forever. Glory is forever. That's the hope that we have that's unsinkable. Do you know him this morning? I I pray you do. Let's all pray this this morning as we just close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory, that you have come to make yourself known to us in such a practical, in such a tangible, in such a useful way that, that you come not merely alongside of us, but that you dwell in us and you're constantly supplying grace to us in every circumstance. I mean, absolutely 90% or more, I don't know, 95%, of, of the Christian world will never have to experience any of the things that I talked about this morning. And, and, and we're not ungrateful for that. We are grateful for that. But we know that whatever comes our way, whatever we do have to face, we know that you will supply us with grace. For even faith is a measure of grace that you've given to your children. Hope is a gift that you've given to your children. And I I pray today, Lord God, if there's anyone who's going through a hard time right now and I don't know about it, I pray, I pray in Jesus' name. I pray for Dave this morning that you would touch his body during this procedure he'll experience this week. Lord God, I pray for Dave that it will be successful, that it will go well, that you will bless him and, and bring Bring his heart into proper beating and balance. And I pray for others this morning. I I may not know of every situation right now, but Jesus, you know, and you are ever living, interceding for us. 
So, so, so would you just right now release grace for us to be able to be sustained because we cast our cares upon you. And we say together, amen.